But first, if you live in certain neighborhoods of Vancouver, you have likely heard the unwelcome sound of a bear banger. For some reason, bear bangers have been set off, particularly throughout this pandemic. At least that's when we've been hearing and seeing, well, not seeing, but hearing the uptick in these very loud, intrusive noises. Vancouver Council has just voted on a motion dealing with bear bangers, and it was just brought up at the Vancouver Police Department about a half hour ago. Here's what Vancouver Police Police Constable Tanya Visentin had to say about bear bangers. The intended use of bear bangers, of course, is for wildlife or to scare wildlife. Uh, and that's it. They shouldn't be used in the city, especially not here in Vancouver. If the right circumstances exist, somebody in possession of those or using them could face uh, mischief charges. So we do know that this is very distressing for people. And it's scary as they do sound like gunshots. So we do ask people if they do hear these uh, go off, please call 911. Pete Fry is a Vancouver City Councillor with the Green Party. He joins me on the line now. Councillor Fry, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Hi, Jill. Hi. So what has Council done when it comes to bear bangers? Uh, so we have uh, prohibited the sale uh, and discharge of bear bangers within the city of Vancouver. Um, this uh, was a, a very rapidly put together um, bylaw by our staff uh, in response to the, the growing incidents, especially on the downtown peninsula, of bear bangers being let off, but also uh, some alarming concerns and uh, including coming from the VPD where we've found bear bangers utilized as uh, improvised explosive devices. We've had them tied up with ball bearings and other things to make bigger explosions with custom fuses. And uh, the VPD recovered um, one uh, bear banger IED strapped to a child's stuffed toy in a park. And I think that realization was a big wake up call uh, for our city that we had to move on this pretty quickly. We know that there's unscrupulous dealers. Obviously, there's a legitimate use for explosive animal deterrence, but we know that there's unscrupulous retailers who are selling them to folks who are redistributing them on the downtown east side and broken up packs. You can buy a pack uh, in East Vancouver for, I get, you can get about 50 for $60. Uh, so they're, they're being broken up and traded at, 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 you know, at, at a unit cost. Uh, and, and and we can't we can't have that happen. I mean, in addition to it being a scary uh, experience for a lot of folks, the risk of injury is is serious. And you know, in my research, um, there was a case in Alberta a couple of years ago where a young man was killed by a bear banger that had been rigged up as a zip gun. So basically, with a with a, a bullet attached to the bear banger cartridge and set up in the launcher to function as a zip gun, it discharged, went through his head, and killed him. Uh, yeah, they're 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 obviously they're there for a reason. As police said, they are meant to scare wildlife. They're supposed to be used in those very specific scenarios, not to be set off or used as weapons. Uh, will banning it then so stores won't be able to sell them? Will they be, still be able to sell them online though? You will be, you'd be able to purchase them online. Uh, I don't think you could actually sell them online in a store in Vancouver, but you could certainly, as a Vancouverite, purchase them online or in neighboring jurisdictions, you know, as you're entering the back country and the, typically there'd be some kind of outfitting for available to folks. Uh, but do you think we that... Have, we have, sorry, I, I would, I, we've left staff with some direction to maybe work out a system that we might uh, have for a little bit more of a rigorous kind of permitting system for, you know, professional use of these kind of things from folks who are going into the back country for mining and forestry and those kind of uses. And and really narrowing down the availability of it. I think the, the big challenge is when they're available at a retail level uh, that they're almost impossible to control, and especially if we have 
a, a few bad players in the mix. Right, and that, that was kind of my question, in that if somebody wants to get a hold of these things for for nefarious reasons, I mean, you can go online right now, and granted it might be banned in Vancouver. I'm looking at a store in North Vancouver that has 105 in stock. Is, is banning the sale of them in Vancouver, do you think, is that reasonably for people that want to use them illegally, is that going to stop them being found in Vancouver? No, I don't think it will, but I think it will uh, limit the accessibility. There's there's a few um, of these uh, kind of surplus stores that sell them that are are very accessible to to public transit and and quite close to the downtown inside, and I think that's kind of one of the challenges that we're seeing uh, with it. So I think if we can limit the immediate availability, so yes, if you have a credit card, yes, if you want to order it online, and yes, if you want to, you know, pay for shipping and you have an address to ship them to, all those factors, but that's that does add a, a level of um, difficulty in obtaining them. So I think that's hopefully going to mitigate some of the access to them. And we heard from police as well, police saying that if you're caught setting these things off in the city, you could face a mischief charge. Uh, my guess there is, though, it, it, the issue is is enforcement, and this isn't a, a knock against the police. I myself had to call 911 once because there were people in a park setting them off. But of course, by the time police got there, which was quickly, the people were long gone. Uh, my guess is that would be the same with city enforcement. Even though you could face a fine for having these, you still have to catch somebody setting them off or having them. Sure. Yeah, and it's obviously going to be a challenge. The one interesting piece that I noted is I was actually with one of your colleagues from Global doing a media hit in Strathcona Park, um, and it was the middle of the day, and a bear bangle went off, and we were all looking around. And as we looked around, uh, we saw a police cruiser roll by. So I think that the bear bangers are, in some cases, being used as a as a warning that police are on the block. Hmm. And um, so, yes, it's going to be difficult to catch folks in the act, Um um, as with any kind of criminal activity or, or mischiefy type activity, it's not always possible to catch folks in the act. But you know, we try and deter them through you know uh, education and warning people as well. So, and you, I do encourage your listeners to call nine one one if they uh, you know if they notice them or are experiencing them. I, you mentioned that there might be more coming then. So this is the, the uh, initial then stopping that they may no longer be sold or used within the city limits. So do you anticipate there are going to be more rules coming for Vancouver? Um, no, I, I mean, I think if, if we need to modify, I mean, I think this sets a pretty, pretty clear standard that, that we um, don't expect to have uh, Beer bangers, you know, and we and we we we've limited their access. We've added more of a misdemeanor fine component to it. Um, we'll see how it works. I mean, honestly, there's this is such a new emergent uh, piece that has kind of taken us by surprise that um, we're acting as quickly as we can in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, this has really only been occurring for the last three or four months, but with the escalating use of of what we're seeing these bear bangers being used for, I think it's important that we act proactively and yes we may need to refine that as we go along um, but hopefully we can nip this in the bud have you heard them uh, personally in your in your neighborhood have you been hearing them oh yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> like how often how, how prevalent do you think is it happening um how prevalent? i mean it's hard to it kind of comes and goes it's a little bit more prevalent say around check day um it's a little bit more obvious um on weekends, I guess. I mean, it's, it's really hard to say, but I mean, it's, 
they're pretty distinct and they're they uh they're, they're, i had one guy threaten me with one actually they're, they're, they're little orange pistol-y type things that you can get or or a pen discharger um so they're quite unique looking and they're, they're definitely out there um what can I say? I, can, I mean, we're hearing them a lot in Strathcona. I know that there's a lot in Yale Town, downtown South, the West End. Gastown's been getting a lot. Uh, it can be really disruptive. I've had a few people, I mean, we've got a lot of emails and phone calls about them. Mm-hmm. And some of them have been really impactful on residents, including I had one woman whose cat now has uh, an, kind of incontinence and uh, idiopathic urinary cystitis as a direct result of the trauma of the, the bangs echoing around the building and stuff because they were so frequent. It's just freaked this poor cat out. And sorry, you said you were threatened with one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happened? Um, I don't know if I want to get too, too into it, but it, it was basically uh, a guy, a street and trash guy who didn't wasn't comfortable with my uh, presence uh, and proximity to his tent with my dog. So he just sort of brandished it and was, I just walked away. I didn't really need to have it go off and freak the dog out. Hmm. All right. Well, Counselor Fry, uh, we'll leave it there for today. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We'll see uh, what happens uh, with this. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing us up to speed. Sure, no problem. Well, as you may have heard in the news, if you are looking to stretch your legs in six of the province's most popular parks, pretty soon you are going to need to reserve a free day pass to do so legally. The province is rolling out a pilot project. It has to do with COVID-19 and physical distancing in mind. The Ministry of Environment is saying that the passes are being tested as a crowd management tools. So even though we think of parks as the large open spaces that they are, the ministry says that there have been too many cases of visitors being confined to the same trails and viewpoints and not maintaining that physical distancing. So the parks that are going to be part of this pilot project are Mount Robson Park, the Berg Lake Trail, Stuamas Chief Park, the Chief Peaks Trail, Cypress Park, parts of that, the Upper Mountain Trails, Mount Seymour Park, the Upper Mountain Trails, Garibaldi Park, Park and Golden Ears Park. Not everybody is pleased with this and wondering how exactly it's going to work. When this story came out, we were contacted by a CKNW listener who has some very valid concerns about this new pilot project. And Kim Smith agreed to come on the air and talk about this a little bit more. Kim, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you, Jill. Um, Thank you for giving me the opportunity to express my concerns about this new program. Well, I'm glad you wrote us and I'm glad you agreed because I'm sure you are not the only one. When you first heard about these day passes, this program starting up, what are your concerns? Well, first off, it was very sad. I, I, you know, it was like bad news about something happening to to a family member. Um, Born and raised in BC and myself and my husband and our four adult children all actively use the parks um, on a regular basis. And I just, I thought, who who came up with this idea? Um, you know, if we're going hiking, if we're going camping, we put a lot of forethought and planning into it. And by implementing a system where you cannot find out if you're going to be going camping until 6 a.m. the morning of, um, brings up a whole set of concerns. 
because you have, like you said, so you have to go to the Discovery Camping website. You have to have an account on the website. You can't go the night before. You have to go at 6 a.m., starting at 6 a.m. for day of. If the park you want to go to is already maxed out for passes, you can't go legally. You have to go somewhere else. Uh, do, what uh, You wrote about spontaneity when you reached out to us about this. It does seem like it's taken the spontaneity completely out of going even for a day hike. Oh, definitely. I mean, you start at the whole problem with the Discover Camping system, which is a new system implemented this year. And personally, I have had many problems already uh, with the site being crashed, um, charging for a reservation that I had never actually got a camping spot, which eventually was rectified. Um, you know, it, it's not a user-friendly system. People don't all have smartphones. People don't all have access to computers. And that's the only way that they could access this. Um, safety is huge. This sort of last minute, you know, waiting to get a, a, a pass the day of um, means that people that may not have been give, uh, may not have given a lot of thought about what they're doing in, in the outdoors. Um, I mean, all the search and rescue organizations, Adventure Smart BC, all talk about pre-planning, trip planning, getting all your ducks in, in the line before you head out to the, to the backcountry. And if you're kind of waiting, not knowing, and then all of a sudden you get your pass at 6 a.m., okay, let's go, that there isn't a whole lot of planning involved there. Um, parking issues, locals, people that have moved to certain parts of our province so that they can enjoy um, spon- spontaneously the outdoors in their area um, are no longer going to be allowed to do that. You know, one of my children lives uh, in the North Shore, on the North Shore in the, in the Lynn Valley area. They are often up at four or five o'clock in the morning doing sunrise hikes up to Seymour, first peak, um, second peak, Dog Mountain, um, you know, in the Squamish area, same, same sort of thing. Like a lot of these avid hikers and people that use the outdoors don't wait till 6 a.m. to head out. And this is, you know, of great concern. Uh, that was something that, that struck me too, c- having been an early riser uh, for work, that it does, it gets light very early right now in the summertime and you do see people out and about and going up they might be well into their hike when six o'clock comes around and you're right it makes it so it's impossible to go to any of these places and legally do that the other the other concern and this kind of stretches across the entire park system is enforcement who are they hiring rangers are they going to be having people at the trailheads like how is the system going to be enforced I understand that the passes are free, but, you know, there's a lot of people out there, people I've been in touch with in the last couple of days that haven't even heard about the system um, that's going to be implementing starting next week. Um, You know, like how is word going to get out and how are they going to control the numbers? I have seen on various social media um, accounts, um, the numbers that they're limiting to the number of passes each day and they seem very unrealistic and very low the numbers so i don't know again where this information came from and how they came up with the numbers 
You've also been camping. You've been out in the BC wilderness during this pandemic. The reason the ministry says they're doing this is because there are too many people that aren't distancing and are gathering in certain areas. Have you seen people doing that or have you been concerned about the number of people in what should be wide open spaces where people have space to do that? Well, um, I did write the ministry. I have not heard back from them. We have been camping for two weekends thus far uh, this summer at at BC provincial camps, um, campgrounds that required reservations. And once um, Minister Dix and, and Dr. Bonnie Henry opened up um, the provincial campgrounds again during the pandemic, um, they put in place, or so I was led to believe, some very specific guidelines about social distancing and maximum numbers per camping party and, and that sort of thing. And we were very, very disappointed in the enforcement of that at uh, one one park in particular um, in the Merritt area. Um, I would say that the campground operator allowed 110% capacity of the park. Um, there were sites that had, you know, nine adults in a single site when the camping regulations say four, uh, multiple vehicles, three and four vehicles per single site, uh, which in turn puts extra stress on the washroom facilities. You know, people are lined up. There's more people in there that should be in there. Um, puts stress on the outdoor space, the beach area, the picnic areas, when there's more people in the campground that on a normal year um, would be using all of the facilities. But in a pandemic year, they should be enforcing those rules even more so. And again, it goes back to not having the people, the funds um, to enforce the rules that BC Parks has put in place. All right. Well, Kim, we'll leave it there because I know a lot of other people share uh, your concerns as well. We're going to be talking to the minister in charge a little bit later on in the program, so we'll hopefully get uh, some clarity there. Thank you so much, though, for reaching out and for joining us today. And thank you. We uh, were talking about this earlier, and you now have to get a day pass for certain parks, or you will soon have to, starting on the 27th, for certain parks to try and cut down on the number of people crowding onto the trails, crowding in parking lots, uh, perhaps parking on highways where they shouldn't be parking. Some people are questioning, though, why this was brought out with such short notice and why only day of bookings are allowed. You can start booking at 6 a.m. for the same day, free pass to the various parks. Well, let's bring on George Heyman, Minister of Environment and Climate Change in BC. Minister Heyman, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. Good afternoon, Jill. Good afternoon to you. Uh, Why was this brought on with only a few days notice for people who now have to go through the Discovery BC website and do this before heading into these parks? Well, we did give a few days notice, but uh, this is uh, an issue we've been monitoring for some time. We we were spending most of our energy uh, focusing on getting parks open for camping and uh, and trying to open the the few parks that remained closed. Uh, We've been noticing for quite some time that some areas, uh, some parks, uh, particularly parking lots and some trailheads, were getting very crowded, and that was uh, diminishing the visitor experience. But COVID has really exacerbated that. And uh, for instance, if we're asking people to social distance and they don't have the room to do it because there's too many people on the trail, it's not only uh, kind of hurting the experience of of having a peaceful hike, it's also making people, frankly, nervous about their health. And in other instances, we, we just have 
too many people trying to crowd into the parking lot, sometimes parking illegally, double parking, parking on roadways. We've had situations where emergency vehicles were blocked and park staff had to tow vehicles. So this is a pilot project. It's a three-day pass. We're uh, we're trying it out. We're going to get feedback. We're going to evaluate it. But um, like everything else uh, in this uh in this particular year of COVID, uh, we're all learning as we go. Uh, some people have raised concerns saying they are the pre-sunset or the sun, sorry, sunrise hikers. A lot of people get on the trail before 6 a.m. So what do people in that scenario do? Uh, we haven't been able to deal with that at this point. I, I did uh, raise that issue with, with staff. We're monitoring it. Uh, if uh, we're able to make changes, uh, we will. I think in some cases it's important to note that uh, that uh, this has to do with uh, with parking uh, in some parks, uh, particularly. So, for instance, in Gold Mears, if somebody um, walks to the park or bikes to the park, um, they don't need the pass; they can go in. The real issue at Gold Mears is uh, the parking lot and uh, the three parking lots and uh, and the boat launch. In some other parks, it is the trailheads. It's uh, as uh, one analogy I heard was, you can have a lot of space in the park. We have tons of space, but if everybody is entering through uh, the same door, um, it is uh, it is going to be crowded. As I said, we're uh, we're going to do our best to uh, to adapt to and to uh, accommodate uh, people. I appreciate that uh, there are some early morning hikers. On the other hand, if we made it earlier. Um, it creates a problem for people who simply uh, say it's unreasonable to expect me to get up at three in the morning to book a pass. Why couldn't you book it the day before? Uh, we'll look at that, but uh, we're implementing this uh, the way it is at this time, and, and we're monitoring. I, I understand the issues. We're doing the best we can. Uh, there are some parks, uh, Mount Robson, Mount Seymour, uh, Stuamis <clears throat> Chief, at Golden Ears, Cyprus, that have AM and PM passes. So how is it going to be regulated or enforced if somebody has an AM pass? How will you know all of the AM people have left before the PM people arrive? Well, people have a pass for that particular period of time. Um, Obviously, uh, we're not going to have a a park staff person walking along with every person to ensure they leave in time. Uh, We're relying on education and um, and we're not taking a strict enforcement uh, approach to this because it's new and it is a pilot project but we're going to ask people to um, we're going to ask people to respect their neighbors to respect the other people who want access to uh, a very popular park and uh, we hope that works and if we see people who are um, on a trail or uh, or trying to park without the appropriate pass uh, we'll ask them to leave Uh, So how does that work for enforcement? When people arrive at these parks, will there be somebody, a staff member, that you have to show that pass before you get into the park? Uh, Certainly where uh, people are entering through a parking lot and we have have staff there, then uh, that will likely be uh, how we monitor it. It'll be a little different with uh, each of these parks. And as I said, for instance, uh, in Golden Ears, the real test there is the passes for the parking lot. If you're not using the parking lot, um, it's not relevant. In other cases, we have people who have reservations, overnight reservations for backcountry camps. As long as they have their camping pass with them, they're not also required to have a day pass. We expect they're going to be uh, using the trails. Is the pass something that you have to print out and carry with you, or can you carry it on your phone, or how does that work? <clears throat> you should be able to carry it on your phone or print it out. Either one will work. 
And, and you mentioned enforcement, that that's going to be more of an educational, that if somebody happens to be in the park and is asked for a pass and doesn't have uh, have the pass, uh, it's more of an educational. Will they be asked to leave or what would happen in that scenario? Oh, I think the only fair thing to do uh, for all the people who are um, are getting passes and uh, and uh, understand the rules is if we find somebody who is there without a pass, we we will ask them to leave. Um, but we'll also tell them why the system's in place, and uh, we'll try to ensure that uh, they understand. We don't want confrontations with people. We want uh, we want what we've come to expect from British Columbians, which is a good sense of community, and and sometimes that means. While it's inconvenient um, for an individual, if you understand why the system is in place, by and large, most British Columbians are um, are community-minded. Uh, if the issue, though, is in parking lots and with parking and on, on say, the, the trailheads so where the people are gathering, why not focus on that? And if you're going to have staff there, why not focus on making sure people distance before they go into the more open spaces rather than making everybody now get an account with Discover Camping and making sure they have to be up at six in the morning to get a pass? Well, we have looked at uh, at all the options, Jill, and uh, and we will have uh, we will have people at the at the points of congestion. But the other side of this is if you have um, a limited carrying capacity, and I'd encourage people who want to learn more about uh, about why there's a certain carrying capacity in certain parks, if they Google carrying capacity in BC parks, they'll get to our engage.gov.bc.ca website and they'll get more information about it. And uh, people will also have the chance to give feedback at some point. But um, if you have more people than an area can comfortably accommodate and people show up uh, without understanding that they may be turned away or they may be in an unsafe or very crowded uh, situation, it's not really fair to them. I think it's it's better for people in these uh, particularly crowded and heavily used areas to to understand that if they take the step of going to the uh, the website and they get their pass, they'll have the opportunity to know when they go to these parks that they will have a safe and a good experience. And I get that it's a pilot project and there are kinks that will need to be ironed out, but there are concerns as well. Because it's a free pass, people might go on, get the pass, then decide they're going to go somewhere else or not go to the park at all. It doesn't really matter because you haven't paid anything for it. Is there not the possibility that people that will then go on to try and get a pass, the passes will be all used up for the day, they won't be able to go to the park, but there's no way of knowing if people who have the passes are actually accessing the parks? Joe, we're going to monitor that. Um Obviously, that's a possibility, but, but I think if somebody uh, goes on the website at, at 6 in the morning to get a pass because they want to go for a day hike that day, they've pretty well made up their mind that's what they're going to do. Of course, it is, it is possible and may well happen that there are some people who book it and don't use it. Um, I think that's uh, likely to be a minimum, uh, but we will monitor it. All right. Minister, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, uh, Jill, and I hope everyone is planning to go out and uh, visit our beautiful parks. Have a great experience. We have some changes to talk about when it comes to air travel. I know some people very wary, not ready to get back on an airplane, but airlines are making things seem a little bit more normal, we could say. Air Canada announcing that lounges are reopening and that onboard food and drink is coming back, although it will will look a little bit different. Uh, Claire Newell is with me right now, president of Travel Best Bets. Claire, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Jill. Yeah, you know, the airlines are really have had to change the procedures for many aspects of flight, and it's all to help minimize the contact with flight attendants and just to ensure passengers keep their masks on as much as possible. So, 
you know, if you're used to having that glass of wine in flight, you might be a little disappointed. <laughs> but um, it's not on all of them. There, there are still uh, many services that are still there as far as in-flight refreshment. But on the real short-haul flights under two hours, it's bottled water only for both WestJet and Air Canada at this point. But uh, some changes, and I got the email from Air Canada, so I'm I'm not fully up to speed on WestJet if they're doing the same thing. It looks like all, all flights, all the, the different classes, they are bringing back meal packages and some kind of, of drink service. Although if you're flying economy in the four plus hours economy class in North America, again, to the beer and the wine, and I know you're not supposed to drink a lot of that when you're flying, but that's not an option. <laughs> No. Um, from what I understand, though, on uh, anything that is in Canada, the U.S., Caribbean, and Central America, um, it is still only bottled water. Um, and for the short-haul flights, there is no food in economy. But the prepackaged food and water will be on flights that are longer. So to um, Europe, Asia, Australia, South America, there won't be lots of beverage options, but there will be the individual bottles of wine. If you choose to purchase those. And so are you allowed then, you not you can't eat and drink with the mask on. So are you allowed to take the mask on the, off then while you're consuming your food or beverage? Yes. Now, I have not done this myself and that I'm very fearful of that, as you can imagine, me being a bit of a germaphobe on board a flight. So for me, um, I will choose to take a shield with me so that if I really need to eat and drink. Otherwise, when I'm drinking, I may take a di- um, one of the, um, like a straw from home. I've got a stainless steel one that I could just take, and I would just kind of tuck it under my ma- mask. That mask is your protection. And so it's really important for you to keep it on as as much of the flight as possible. Um, so, th- you know, they're, they're doing everything that they can, but it's when people are eating and drinking that's mm-hmm. when things can go a bit sideways. And for, for me, it's it, it's a shield. Um, I actually saw a, an Instagram post of Pamela Anderson wearing a shield and full PPE um, just just today <laughs> So um, when she was going down to L.A. So, you know, I'm not alone in, in you know, taking the precautions. All right. Uh, let's talk a bit about insurance as well, because you have an update on people traveling, and that's been one of the big issues, is travel yeah. insurance and being able yeah. to do so. So what's new there? Well, as of two days ago, on July 22nd, um, there became a couple of different options for people to actually get insurance. So as we know, um, y- there is still the Canadian government's warning to avoid non-essential travel anywhere outside of Canada. Um, and up until two days ago, it's really been impossible to get insurance coverage. There are now two companies that are offering it, and it is a game changer for some of our clients. And, you know, we... We don't like to go against what the Canadian government is saying, but there are some situations um, that, you know, personally people would consider essential. Um, To date alone, we had someone wanting to go down to the U.S., um, but didn't want to go without getting insurance. But today she was able to do that, get that coverage, and her daughter's having a C-section and she needs to be there once the baby's born. Another to see a sick elderly parent. You know, it is a game changer for those who want to travel but haven't because they haven't been able to get that travel insurance. Now, it's not for trip cancellation or interruption due to COVID. It is only emergency medical in destination. Um, And you certainly still have to quarantine for 14 days once you come back into Canada, wherever you happen to be traveling. But there there are people out there who need or want to travel 
to places where um, there may be no quarantine or there's a situation that they, they don't want to avoid. So even in the scenario where you, there's the possibility you could get COVID-19 and need treatment, you can now get insurance that covers you getting that. That's right. Now that's provided you have no symptoms of it prior to your departure. So it, it is, again, it's only for that emergency medical once you're in destination. And some companies are even going uh, above. I, I actually shared an article. I'm not sure you've had a chance to see this, but there are a couple of companies that are now offering um, insurance to their clients. Emirates announced today that they're offering, um, they've actually become the world's first airline to cover medical expenses and quarantine costs should a customer be diagnosed with COVID-19 during their travels. Hmm. The med- medical coverage will cover up to 150,000 euro and the quarantine costs up to 100 euros a day for 14 days. And um, Palladium Resorts, which has um, resorts all over, the ones that we would know mostly would be Mexico, Dominican Republic, um, you know, the all-inclusive type resorts, and they are covering it should someone come down with COVID-19 while they're staying at their resorts. And do you think you'll see more airlines, more resorts doing this to get that confidence back? I do. I, I think so. Um, more importantly, I think that given the fact that two insurance companies have already, Canadian insurance companies have already uh, agreed to cover um, COVID-19 for emergency medical in destination, I expect that more insurance companies will follow suit. Um, I think that there are people out there who, you know, for whatever reason, want to go. I know, I, I feel so strange saying this because I'm such a believer in what the Canadian government is saying um, to avoid non-essential travel. And I can't speak to what is essential for some people, Jill. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are people who, especially the woman I spoke to today who was in tears because she's so desperate to see her elderly father who is essentially dying. So, Mm -hmm. you know, she, she wasn't going to go, but she's now able to.